Hey, good morning. I'm Tim Rogers, one of the pastors here as well, and I join my voice in welcoming you. It's good to see all of you this morning, and I see visitors among us, guests. We're glad to have you. I see non-guests. We're also glad to have you, non-guests, non-visitors. So, hey, we're glad to have everybody. Thanks for making it this morning. We hope you're encouraged in your time with us this morning. Um, I want to tell you before I get going in this morning's message, um, I want to give you a little bit of an ad for next week, okay? So you're watching TV now, whoop, you know, here comes the ad, we'll go back to normal programming in just a minute. Next week, it's Easter Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah, there we go, that's good. Yeah, the kids left, otherwise they'd be excited for their eggs and candy and all that, all right? But, but Easter Sunday next week, and that obviously for a, for a church is, is what I'd say is the biggest, maybe the second business, but the biggest day of our calendar year, what we kind of orient everything around is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And otherwise, if, if Christ has still been, if he's still dead, our faith is futile. We're, we're still in our sins. What a, what, what a wretched lot we are if we really believe this, if Jesus has not been raised. So next Sunday, Easter Sunday here at GPC, and we're going to use that Sunday to launch a new series and, um, and here's the, the, the gist of that series, and that is, here's my assumption, and here's what I think our assumption is, is that throughout our lives, we're, we're always going to be pursuing, always going to be reaching, always trying to find something that is going to give us some layer of satisfaction or peace. And we're we're going to do that through trying to marry somebody or trying to, to break up from somebody or trying to have enough money or have the right kind of house or get the new kind of car or get the job and get the reputation, uh, build our kind of our resume based on what people think about us and then maybe we'll get a layer of peace and kind of stability and calm and all that. And what we tend to do is we're just achieving and pursuing and reaching and always trying to go for something that will bring us a layer of what what I'm going to call rightness in the world, of a peace, of fulfillment, of, ah, finally breathe. I'm here. I can rest. I'm fulfilled. That's what I believe the Bible calls the word righteousness before God in particular. Next week, as we begin this series, we're going to say that there's two ways to pursue that. One is through what I just kind of laid out, through all of our work and effort and all that. And another way to do it is going to be what the book of Romans lays out for us, through our faith and our trust in Jesus. And so this series, we're going to call it Just Did It. Yeah, there you go. Slow burn on that one. Because of the reality of the cross that Jesus has already achieved for us, those things that we're trying to push after. So next Sunday, we're going to launch into this thing for about nine weeks. It's going to be scattered a couple times, but about nine weeks, looking at the book of Romans for the first three chapters of the book of Romans only, talking about the righteousness of Christ, and it's a great day to start it on Easter Sunday. So that's where we're going, okay? Just did it. Advertisement over. Back to your regular programming now. We're in the second part of a two-part series on heaven right now, um, and what I, what I want to say about heaven, what I said last week was that I wanted to convince you last week that your real life doesn't really start until you get a perspective on eternity, and this week I want to kind of convince you that, that heaven will be greater than you possibly have ever imagined. It's difficult actually to convince you of that, because if you can't imagine it, how can I convince you that it's true? If, I can't, if you can't imagine something greater than what you've ever imagined, it's going to be difficult for me to convince you it's true. But this is kind of the road I want to go down. 
I want to begin this way because I think some of you can relate to this experience. I, um, as a kid primarily, and now I still fight against it, to be quite honest, um, a procrastinator. Boom. Anybody else? Do it. Yeah. All right. Come on now. Seriously? 20 of you had it? Is that it? All right. And here's, as a kid, here's what would happen. I would, I would come home on a Friday night, and, or on a Friday from school, and I'm just so tired of school, and, and we, I'd have weekend homework, and I would wait until, obviously, Sunday night, yeah, or Monday morning, early, before you do it, right? Anybody else in that wagon with me? Good. Three of you are there with me. Good. And there's some of you, though, who either did because you were driven enough or you had parents who would make you say, no, 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 let's, let's do it Friday night and you can be done with it. You have the whole weekend. To, and I'm, no, I, I want to, you know, I just want to play now. And I would, I would push it off and I would wait. I would do the same thing when I went off to high school and to college. Deadlines, due dates, papers are due. Man, they're not due till March, you know, 30th. It's only March 28th, man. I've got plenty of time for that, you know, two whole days until that thing is due, and I'd, I'd often just wait until the last minute to get things done, and uh, here's what happens as you wait, and here's how this, this procrastinating kind of drives home this point that I want to make this morning, and that is this, as you think about procrastinating and the deadline getting closer, here's the reality of really all that I want to say this morning, that the clearer your future, the clearer your present, I'll explain that. The clearer your future, the clearer your present. In other words, as the future became clearer to me, so that paper is due on March 30th and it's March 29th right now, and you call me and want to know if I want to play a game of pickup basketball. I would have done that last night, but my present tonight becomes very clear based on my future, which is tomorrow. I can't play tonight because I have to write the paper tonight that I should have been writing for the last five weeks, but I didn't. I have to do it tonight. When my future comes closer to me and becomes clearer, the choices I make in the present become clearer. I make the right choices based on the priorities that I have. Same thing for you in almost any area of life, if you, are, if you know the week is coming up and you look at your calendar, you've got someone coming over Friday night and you need to take care of that closet because it's just spilling into that room. You know you need to vacuum. You know you want to... When are you going to do it? Not Monday, not Tuesday, somewhere in the Friday afternoon range, right before people are going to come. You have that project to do on the honey-do list. And, oh, you tell me, when do you want it done? Oh, I don't know, just get it done sometime. <laughs> right? The clearer my future, the clearer my present. As that due date, and this is why we have due dates, as the due date comes closer, then it becomes clearer for me what I should do with my time in the present because my future is pressing up against me and I see it. Whoa! Same thing happened to me with, um, with girls, right? As a kid... Like, ah, uh, some people told me, hey, someday you'll, you'll get married. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, that's so stupid. Girls are dumb and all that. And, and so I'm, you know, seven at the time. And that's the worst thing you can say to a seven-year-old little boy. So my future, completely ambiguous, completely unclear. And in the present, man, I don't care about girls. I'll pick my nose and fling a booger on them, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But I'm telling you, I don't do that when I'm... 10 years older than 7, because in my future, I'm like, ooh, this might actually be compelling to find a girl who would want to marry me. And so because of that, my choices in the present 
are clearer than they were when I was seven. So the, here's the deal with, with the future, and this is what the future does for us. The better a picture we can have on whatever is coming or where we are going, the, the better choices we can make right now. The clearer our future, the clearer the present. And some of you have experienced this related to a discussion on heaven. Some of you, because you've had loved ones who've already passed in this life, heaven to you is closer than to others. Some of you are, are, uh, have dealt with this on a variety of levels, and for you, the future is clearer or closer than for others. And so for you, your choices in the present are different than those who aren't thinking about their future as clearly. And this is where I want to go this morning in, in, our, in our time together, to, to get into really three passages of Scripture with you, to, to kind of try to paint a picture, whatever I can paint, of the future, so that the future that, that we look at can become just a little bit clearer for us, so that the choices that we make in the present are a little bit clearer for us as well, to kind of bring the due date closer, to bring the reality closer, that one day... All of us, all of us are going to face eternity one way or the other. So what does it look like to get a clearer picture of the future so that my choices in the present are clearer and stronger and better? Okay. So here's what I want you to turn first. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms. Um, Psalms is almost dead center in your Bible. If you don't own a Bible or have one, there should be one near you. And if there's not, just kind of poke the person next to you and they'll pass it down the road to you. And you can just kind of flip that baby open toward the middle. And Psalm 16 is where I'd like to begin this morning. Psalm 16, we're going to be looking at verses 9 to 11 to begin. And what we see in Psalm 16, 9 to 11, is simply this. That in God's presence, in God's presence, there is a fullness of joy that we otherwise would never experience. Okay. Let me clarify one thing first. When we think about heaven, when I use that word heaven, um, biblically speaking, heaven can refer to three different things in the Bible. One is um, it can refer to the, to the stars of the universe. Sometimes if you're reading your Bible, you see the word heaven, and, and you'll read in the Psalms in particular, the heavens declare the glory of God. Okay, that, that's a, a synonym for the universe and the stars and the cosmos, if you will, what we see with our eyes. Another time, heaven can be used as a synonym for God. Um, the prodigal son story in Luke 15, um, the, the son comes back and he says to the father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, meaning I've sinned against God and against you. But heaven, as we tend to think about it and used primarily in Scripture, is really uh, the third way to see it and the, the primary usage is heaven is the place of God's dwelling, God's dwelling, which is interesting, isn't it? Because when we talk about God, we would say that God is spirit, right? Let's just go with yes on that. Yeah, God is spirit. Yep, their head nods, awesome. God is spirit, that's true, that's biblical, that's right. God is spirit, that, that is true. So once we realize that, is, we have a hard time thinking, how can then a spirit occupy a physical place? These seem like they're on two different planes, as if the wind is contained within my house or something like that. Like, that doesn't happen. The wind passes through, but it doesn't live in my house. can't contain that. And so we struggle to understand this balance between, okay, God is spirit, and yet there's a dwelling place for him. And so I want to, to 
clear up that peace for us. And Psalm 16 kind of begins to clear that up for us. So Psalm 16, beginning at verse 9. The psalmist here is kind of talking about end-of-life stuff. And here's what he says. Therefore, verse 9, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Why? My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So in other words, as the psalmist now is facing the reality that death will come, he's going to say, I'm rejoicing that you are not going to that God, you are not going to kick me to the curb, but you're not going to throw me away like yesterday's newspaper. The grave is going to come, but my life will not be immaterial. It will matter. At the end of life, you just don't get thrown away, and the next person comes, and they do their thing, and then you're thrown away, and the next person comes. Life has meaning. And so the psalmist is now saying, listen, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices. You're not going to abandon me to the grave as if I'm left alone there all by myself like yesterday's paper. No one cares about it. Irrelevant, all that stuff. Not true. Verse 11, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will fill me with, what's that word there? Joy. You will fill me with joy in your presence. In the New American Standard, that verse says, um, in your presence is fullness of joy. That this idea that somehow, in some way, the fullness of joy, the, the, the most joyful experience you can imagine is had within the context of heaven. Now, to be honest... This is difficult for us to imagine. This is difficult to to fathom how we can have a fullness of joy within heaven. And and it's as hard for me as it is for you, to be honest. I don't know anything more here than you do about the text and about what this will be like. The only imagery, perhaps, that I can use that I was trying, as I was trying to filter down and, and relate to this, is comparing in our lives, as children in particular, um, Anticipated experience versus actual experience. For example, a child anticipating, and you may or may not have done this, but you can understand this, a child anticipating a trip to Disney World. A child anticipating a trip to Disney World. Or a child looking at their TV and watching Disney and thinking, oh, wouldn't that be cool if I could go? There's an anticipation. And then imagine, just imagine, a child actually, just think about that, going to Disney World walking into the Magic Kingdom, seeing Mickey Mouse. What do you think the child will be like? Yeah, let's go home and watch it on TV. It's better there. For me as a kid, I remember uh, watching the airplanes in the sky, just kind of being mesmerized by that. And then I remember the first time I could cognitively put my brain around it, stepping into an airplane. I could hardly sleep the night before because the anticipation of actually getting into an airplane was, was so great for me. And to, I was just mesmerized by the experience of being in an airplane. So the movement from anticipated expectations to realize, you can imagine that. Just like um, Eagles fans, like anticipating a Super Bowl and So the movement from anticipated 
to realize, right, that this, this is part of what I think the psalmist is talking about, that in, in your presence there is this fullness of joy that I, I have stepped onto the plane, in a sense, as an eight-year-old boy. Just, this is, oh, I can't believe I'm up in the sky. You know, just mesmerized by that. And I can't believe I'm in Disney World, or I can't believe that I've done this or, or that. And, and I don't know how else to explain that. I, I don't know how else to feel about that except to relate it to our known experiences in this world, which is great, which is great. It's a great place to start. In, in your presence, there is this fullness of joy that happens. So we know that is true. We know that when we die, we're not kicked to the curb, we're not abandoned, but there's this fullness, this kind of overwhelming experience of fullness of joy with God. That's not all we know. Stay in the book of Psalms, flip over about nine Nine psalms to Psalm 27, because here we see the psalmist blowing it up a little bit more, or explaining it a little bit more. And he says here in Psalm 27, 4, One thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I ask, and this is what I seek, that I may, and then what's the word? Dwell in the house of the Lord, what? All the days of my life. To do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and then what? And to seek him in his temple. This, this verse is very interesting. One thing I ask, and this is what I seek. So the psalmist is saying, I'm asking for this, but while I ask, I'm also seeking. While I'm kind of wondering, can you give it to me? I'm also doing something about it. And, and what is he asking for? Check it out here. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That word for dwelling means kind of, it's used in the Old Testament for, for setting up a tent, uh, for tabernacling, if you will, for, for going and putting your place of residence, boom, I'm going to build here. I'm going to put my life here. I'm going to put my tent and my home, boom, right here. And I'm going to do that. Now, that again, we can agree with mentally. This is good. If indeed there's fullness of joy within the presence of God, why wouldn't I want to build my house here? Why wouldn't I want to build my life here? Think of a kid, again, Disney World or Airplane or wherever it is. Here's what happens when kids have a great experience. They go to a birthday party where there's a bounce house. It's as simple as that. Or they go and they have chocolate cake and they get to do karaoke or whatever they do. And they just, they're having a great time and they're overwhelmed by it, okay? Just imagine that scenario. What do they want to do? They want to stay there forever, Right? Can we just stay forever? Can we stay longer? Why do we have to go, Mom, Dad, why do we have to go now? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if we just stayed here forever? And what do you know as parents? If you stay here forever, no matter how cool it is right now, if you stay here forever, you will be bored. Right? I don't care how cool it is. I don't care. Let's just take the Disney World experience. I don't care how cool that is. You might, you might love it. You might love it for a week. You might love it for a month. You might even be a year-long Disney World endurer. But I'm telling you, you do not want to live in the Princess Castle your whole life. You will be bored. You cannot wait, if you're there, I cannot wait to get to Amish country where I can avoid the <laughs> droppings. I want something different because I will be bored if I dwell all the days of my life, even in what is considered to be one of the most entertaining places that we have here in the United States. 
And so here's our problem. If we're honest with heaven, even with the psalmist here, and one thing that I ask, and this is what I seek, that I, can, that I can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then to do what? To gaze upon your beauty. And we're like, that's it? I mean, you're going you're gonna to put your house there and you're going you're gonna to look at God? Like every day? Forever? Forever is a long time. And it gets boring to do the same thing, no matter how interesting it is, forever. And so if we're honest, we kind of have, this is why some of us haven't thought a lot about heaven. We're like, well, I don't really know, and it's kind of weird, and the whole, you know, pearly gates and gold streets seems kind of slippery and doesn't really connect to me, and a little not very emotional and all that, and, eh, you know, what am I going to do forever? I'm just going to look at God. Every day, I'm going to wake up and look at God, and tomorrow I'm going to look at God, and the next day I'm going to look at, is that it? Is that all that we do? And if we're honest, there can be kind of this disconnect to say, boy, I'm in, as noble as it sounds, that there's going to be fullness of joy, all of our experience tells us no matter how full our joy is, that has to be diversified or else we run out of interest in the subject. So what do we do? Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to take you to one more passage because I want to drive this home a little bit more. I want to make your future clearer. <laughs> because the clearer your future, the clearer your present. I want to give you one more passage to go to where we're going to draw out what heaven will not have, to make it even clear. And that is, flip toward the end of your Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 is where I would like to go with you. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, is going to be the section we're going to start and stop in. And this, to some of you, might be familiar, and others, this might be brand new, which is great uh, to have that experience with, with the Bible, to to see it for the first time and to understand it in this way. Revelation 21, this, this whole book is uh, written by uh, the disciple of Jesus named John on a little island called Patmos. Um, he was under persecution there, and this is essentially a dream or a vision that he had. And so he's writing, he's probably in his late 90s in terms of his age right now, and so you have an old man who is a disciple of Jesus being persecuted on an island, sharing a vision or a dream with you, which is why sometimes you read Revelation and you're like, what is this guy talking about? Here's Revelation 21, giving us a picture of, of heaven. And then, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Pause right there. Now, the next verse in particular, and the next two, but the next verse in particular, here's what I want you to look at. I want you to see, I want you to be able to experience the reality of your future by what will not be there. Sometimes we define things by what will happen, and sometimes we define it by the opposite. And in, in Revelation 21.4 in particular, we see, we get a different perspective on heaven by what not will be present, but, but what will be missing. And I'm, I'm telling you, what is missing is stuff that we experience right now, every day, every season of our life. So I want you to see what's going to be missing. And he will wipe away, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be, and here's four things, there will no longer be any what? 
Okay, good. Let's say that one together a little louder with more conviction because it might be true. There will no longer be any. Wow, that was, that was good. No longer any what? Mourning. Or? Or? No longer any death, mourning, crying, or pain. The verse continues, the first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things what? And he said, write these, write, for these words are two things, faithful and true. There will no longer be any more death. There will no longer be any more mourning. There will no longer be any more tears or crying. There will no longer be any more pain. Now here's what I want to do with you right now. And then then the next verse says, write, write, for these things are faithful and true. Don't just listen, write, take this down. These things are true. We have to go to that that next level to make this true. If, 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 listen, listen now. If this is true, that there's no more death, what does that categorically mean? That means that there's categorically no more, and check this out, no more cancer, right? Right. There are no more accidents that take lives, right? If there's no more pain, what does that mean? Categorically. Categorically. There's no more deep misunderstandings. There's no more fathers who have abandoned. There's no more divorce. There's no more relational strife. Right? There's no more tears. There's no more crying. There's no more overload of my life that I can't handle it anymore. And what am I going to do? There is no more of that anymore. And here's what I want you to do right now. And you can either write, or you can take your phone out and put it on your notepad, or you can just kind of put it in your brain right now. I want you, I want you right now to, to look at these words again in verse 4. Four things. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. And I want you to just just go real quick, kind of go through your life right now and, and say, okay, God, if this is true, there's no more of these things, and here's what I'm going to miss in heaven. Not, not miss in the sense long for, but here's what's not going to be there. There will no longer be, and for you that might be, there's no longer be insecurity. There's no longer going to be striving for acceptance. There's no longer going to be tumors. There's no longer going to be deep injustice in heaven. And I want you right now, I'm going to give you a moment right now to think about that, to take these four things further. And then what I want you to do, because I'm going to ask you to be a little courageous this morning, then I'm going to ask you, kind of popcorn style, if you will, to speak that out to me and to us, to all of us as a congregation this morning, to be able to verbalize what will not be in heaven. What will be gone? And that just may be one word for you. You just may simply say insecurity. Or that may be a sentence where you're going to speak out and say, there will no longer be any more, boom, this. There will no longer be this. There will no longer be this. Right now, take a moment. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to a minute. And it probably will not take you long to identify those pressing things in your life even right now that are in those categories, causing death, causing mourning, causing pain, causing your tears and your crying. Those 
things will be gone. Write them. Write them. Because these things are faithful. They're true. Think, think, think. There will no longer be. There will no longer be. All right, let's do it. Let's encourage one another with this truth. There will no longer be what? What? Ugly. Mobility problems. Fear. Self-doubt. Frustration. Separation. Stress, heartache, disease, slavery, failed expectations. Sorry? Broken relationships, greed. Calories was that one. <laughs> Running out of time. Jealousy. Anger. Misunderstanding. Frustration. <laughs> Let's wait on that one. Procrastination. Suffering. Pardon me? Irritation. Starvation. Rebellion. Apathy. Tears. What? War and taxes. <laughs> Those two aren't related. <laughs> Prison. Habits, fear of the unknown, addictions, loneliness, disasters, injustice, imperfection, depression, depression, misunderstandings.
disappointment. And here's what the angel speaks to John. Write these things for they're faithful and true. The clearer your future, the clearer your present. What, what if, what if we were to have a picture that this is actually true, that there is a place that exists where there's no more what you just said, no more, no more, no more. And what if that place, we were like we did last week, talked about Colossians, Colossians 1, set our mind, excuse me, Colossians 3, set our mind and our heart on things above. And, and felt like the nearer the future, or the clearer the future, the clearer my present. What if I were to take, what if I were to say, no more imperfection, no more temptation, no more, no more pain and suffering. And so because of that, God, today, right now, <clears throat> I'm going to choose to worship you and find in your presence now the fullness of joy that I know will someday be mine. What if, what if we were to do that? When we face those times when we have great misunderstandings, when we fight with each other, there's conflict, there's trouble, there's stress, when there's cancer, when there's tumors, when there's injustice, when there's loneliness and depression, we take that and we turn that and say, God, this is a part of our life now, but you know and I know my future is different than my present. Help me understand that the clearer my future, the clearer my present. Help me to live right now, right now with an understanding that you bring fullness to my life through the person of Jesus Christ. That maybe there's something for you to confess to someone. Maybe there's something for you to write down and say, I need to start this new habit. Or I need to, I need to look at Revelation 21.4. That's going to be a verse I need to put on my refrigerator and remind myself, this is the future. This is the future. Psalm 16.11, in his presence there's fullness of joy. And in that fullness there's absence of all of this other stuff even if I can't understand all of what that is. The clearer your future, the clearer my future, the clearer my present, the clearer we act and step forward in what God wants us to do. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning as people who want to understand and know more about heaven and what it's like. We come as people who want to, um, to really get a handle on how we can have this fullness of joy even in this world that we live in right now. We want to believe that our future will dictate our present. We want to be courageous enough to listen even to one another as we spoke truth this morning to one another in identifying things that will be no longer. They'll be gone. Father, it's so hard to imagine a world where these things are gone and yet this is true and this is the future. And so I pray for us in our present, that our present becomes a reflection of what we know about our future. And we don't procrastinate anymore and wait until the due date to begin living like we could and should now. That right now we realize that my future is clear, therefore I'm going to live in light of that now. This is what I need to confess. This is what I need to change. This is who I need to talk to. This is what I need to make right. This is a relationship that needs correction. This is the, the deal at work and with my family that needs some help. Because my future is clear, my present is clear. Give us the courage for that, Father. And as we turn our attention now toward communion, we, we turn it in a way that is a turning toward worship and a turning toward gratitude, a turning toward 
deep thankfulness in our hearts that you have even been able to reach us in our humanity and draw us to you. So as we prepare in our hearts and in our minds now for communion, I, I pray that, um, that this time will be a time where we can express to you through the taking of the bread and the cup that, that you are our God and we are your people together. And that we look forward to, with great anticipation, communion with you that will be uninterrupted in heaven. The fullness of your presence, the joy in your presence that is to come. pray this in Jesus' name.